0: Hello, and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us.
1: We're at our best as human beings, I think, when we're making valid choices around who we want to become, who we were, who we are now, and who we want to become.
0: A behavioural scientist, Darren Hill knows firsthand what's required to build high-performance cultures. Along with a client book of Fortune 500 and ASX 200 companies, Darren's the co-founder of Australia's premier behaviour and motivation strategy company, Pragmatic Thinking a company that has made the Australian Financial Review's Fast 100 list the last three years running. Darren's a best-selling author, published in multiple languages, and is a regular in mainstream media such as Sky Business News, Channel 9 and the Australian Fin Review. In 2018, Daz was awarded the Australian Educator of the Year Award by the Professional Speakers Association. He says a remarkable feat given the only person who can read his writing on a whiteboard is his executive assistant. Daz and I have known each other for a number of years now, and you couldn't find a more down-to-earth, quintessential Aussie bloke who has an ability to cut through the crap and always gets you thinking. I've been so looking forward to this chat. Welcome to the podcast, Daz. Awesome to have you here.
1: Thanks, Michelle. Coxie.
0: Now, um, this podcast is all around me asking you one question. If there was one thing that you wish society would talk more about,
1: what would it be? The Parramatta Eels winning a premiership. But no, (laughs) as much as I'd like that to happen, we all know that that's probably unlikely. Uh, So why not let's focus on identity?
0: Identity. Interesting. Yeah, good topic. So why is it that you feel we need to talk more about identity?
1: I think some people talk about it but don't know what the hell they're talking about is probably one thing. And the other thing is that it's a bit scary and a bit loose uh, because it's such a hugely used term with very little definition. So if, if I went and asked people on the street and said, what does identity mean? How many do you reckon would actually be able to give you an answer that didn't start with, well, or um, she, I don't know. Uh, And then start to try and loosely unpack it. But for many of us, we don't really have a, a conscious understanding of what identity is, even though I'm sure we know that it's a massive driver of our behavior and the way that we show up to the world.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. It's um, I think there's obviously a very generic term, but there's also all the other elements of, you know, attachment to ego and, you know, your history, what makes, you know, your values, your beliefs, like there's so much that kind of comes into that, right?
1: Absolutely. And and ultimately, I think where you're starting to go towards is what I feel is a useful definition of the topic. I'll offer up a definition for us to start a conversation around identity and realize that that definition is incomplete and that it is flawed. It's It's a bit like the old saying that every model is flawed, but some can be really useful. And what I'd suggest with this is every definition is flawed, particularly when you look at a concept as big and broad as identity, but it could be really useful for this conversation. And so the definition I'd like to give us to at least have this conversation that we should talk about way more often with our kids, with our friends, with our parents, with our our work colleagues, with our employees. Is that an identity is a collection of beliefs that we hold about our past, present, and future.
0: Makes complete sense to me. I've done a bit of work in this space, though I guess, but and maybe before a year ago, before having done that, that it wouldn't make as much sense. But yeah, go on. What, what does that mean? And how do we, how do we actually have those convos with people then around um, those elements?
1: To go another level on that definition of a collection of beliefs that we hold around our past, present, and future is also then to look at the key word of that, and that is beliefs. So beliefs are just thoughts we hold to be true. These are fiction. So these are stories that are within our perception that we tell ourselves or have been told to us so many times that it becomes a reality. Now, reality is itself a subjective word, but it's effectively a belief is fiction repeated over time. There is one other area where beliefs tend to form and that's through massive emotional exposure where we can shift our beliefs in in a nanosecond if there's a big enough emotional anchor to it. But in most other cases, the way that we learn, teach and carry beliefs is through systematic Conversation over time. So, for example, we have a, a belief. You know, so I've got two kids. The best thing about COVID is I've actually learned both their names. Fantastic.
0: And they actually know who you are because you're at home for a
1: change, right? That, yeah. Well, trooping around thing the countryside. Too, so <laughs> exactly. Found out I'm not nearly as fun as what I what I am when I'm. They thought um, you were a superstar because yeah, you're always on TV. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The thing around beliefs is so. If my kids, I, I want to instill in them the belief that to be polite and gracious is an important, you know, part of someone functioning in today's society, something that we would value. Then from the earliest times, what we did is we did things to embed that belief in them, right? And classically, it's sitting at the dinner table and asking please and thanks and, and you know, using good manners and so on. And so we reward that. And over and over, we go, oh, say thank you, say thank you. And it's just over time, just over and over and over, we tend to build that belief system in them that this is something to hold to be true. So if we look at beliefs as they're just fiction that were repeated enough that it now becomes a, a feeling, a sense of trueness, like a, a sense of anchoring in us. And of course, that there's a whole bunch of other conversations that you have seven other podcasts around on how that turns up within our, our physical systems and the way we behave and so on. But if we start from that point of going, an identity is a collection of beliefs that we hold about our past, present, future, and these things are just fiction that we've repeated to ourselves or had others repeat to us for a period of time, then the great and liberating and also terrifying thing about that is we can change them.
0: If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabi Let's head back to the chat. How do you define the difference between beliefs and values?
1: Yeah, so beliefs are bigger anchored systems that have been basically indoctrinated into us, usually by culture and society and others around us. Sometimes they're beliefs that we have started ourselves and then continued the journey on. So there was, there might have been a, a slight kind of attraction towards something or, or a repulsion from something that we then keep that conversation going over and over and over again until it until it kicks in for us. Values are, we don't own any values, right? Much the same as we don't own beliefs. So, you know, this might come as shock horror, Coxie, but your values aren't yours and your beliefs aren't yours. They're, they're way beyond you, and I hate to break the news to you, but they're not unique to you. So you can name any value on the planet, and I could do a show of hands with a 1,000 people in the room, and I'll get most people put their hands up that they value that as well. So the difference between values and beliefs is beliefs are much more anchored. They take a lot more energy and momentum and also effort to create them values tend to be a little bit of a soup. They can move and shift a lot quicker. And if I was to get on a soapbox for a couple of seconds is there's a lot of values porn going on in the world where people tend to hold values up as the highest I- ideal for human beings to live into and that when you are true to your values that you're being hashtag it's the best life. <laughs> and the one thing that I go is, man, our values are there to serve us, we don't serve our values so what that does is again it's it's enlightening but it's terrifying like it like it's it's empowering but it's also frightening that we have that level of choice if we choose to and so for us when it comes to values is we've also got to recognize that they should change over time that they aren't huge anchors that some pseudoscience kind of loose approach will turn around and talk to you about and say that oh your big anchors never really change in your life and that kind of stuff is okay that's just horrendously depressing. We're at our best as human beings, I think, when we're making valid choices around who we want to become. Who we were, who we are now and who we want to become. And Again, like if we look at, say, the situation we find ourselves in right at this current point in time where coronavirus has kind of, you know, ravaged the planet to a point of it's a once in a century experience. Now, people could be listening to this podcast in years to come. We'll talk about this time in years to come. If this hasn't significantly reshaped your values, then whatever will. And and if we're not evolving right now into who we need to become, then are we really being useful to this ecosystem and this place that we live in versus just being the center of my own universe that the world, you know, revolves around me? There's these times where what we've got to do is realise that we do have enormous control over our perception of the world around us. And this is, again, what shapes into our identity. So when we consider that our, our values should change and shape and we should kind of challenge ourselves that if this is truly valuable to us, then how do I get that into my actions?
0: for me your values you are changing and evolving as a human on a daily basis and so that's kind of how i reconciled with it because as you said i used to always think that values you know i valued honesty and integrity and all those things as you say that everyone has and i felt that they never really changed but as i've changed, then yeah, they definitely need to evolve. And because your opinions change on things and you learn more and the old uh, saying goes, "You we learn better and we do better. And so that makes complete sense to me. The point around um, you being in control of that though does and how you, so the values is one part and then into your beliefs and actually being in control of your kind of destiny a little bit in a way, how do people do that better? Because a lot of people and especially right now, don't feel in control and are scared and feel
1: like, you know, their world's slipping away a bit. Again, let's talk simultaneously about values and beliefs if you want to change those. So remember that values are just preferences times by their priority. So these are just things that we'd like to have in our life and then the amount of energy we put to them. And so, for example, where you talk about honesty, that's a value, pretty much most people would have it as a preference and then it's the priority that you place on it. I was actually reading really interesting studies today about uh, two ethics professors um, were followed by their students for four years to see whether these ethics professors were actually more ethical in life. <laughs> so they stalked them and had a look at their habits such as littering and everything, found out that they were no more ethical than anyone else. Even oh, wow, that's cool. Anyway, it's, it's that sense and we're again. We're all of human and we're all flawed. Totally, but it's, again, if it's a value that we want to live into, we have a preference for it. But then what's the priority we make of that in our life? Now, um, that that's a choice. That's doing the work. That's sitting down and writing out your plans and what's your structure and process that's going to make it a priority. Because the only way it becomes a priority is if you do the work, right? Now, Beliefs is a bit different to that in regards if we want to reshape a belief, it's going to be about language. Like unless you expose yourself to some shocking event that that just completely shakes up your emotional system, so whether you go and bloody walk on fire or jump off a cliff or walk a coda or do all sorts of, you know, things that you might really want to shock your system, that can be a faster track towards it. But I'd even still say most of the time the maintenance that have come off that emotional trigger will be language and it'll be internal language and external language. So journaling is a great tool, expression of ideas and thoughts, I think over and over long conversations with trusted people around you, around those belief systems are the pathways to reshaping that belief see it in workplaces, you see it in individuals. If we want to carry a belief around something, we've got to be prepared to sit in the conversation for a long time.
0: Mary Dwyer, who I've had on the show, I did some work with her and she literally stripped down my beliefs and, you know, got me to really kind of work through them and and why I believe certain things and then helped me realise that they didn't serve me any longer and so, again, I'd never thought of that, that actually your beliefs can change and mould. And to your point, you can completely rewrite them, which is what I did with her. So it was life changing. It really was. Do you kind of recommend that people try and do that work with someone else? Or, you know, have you seen a lot of people do it really successfully by themselves? Or
1: I don't know what your experience was, but I'm guessing it wasn't just sort of sat in the park and had an ice cream together and shot the shit and went, right, I've done, like that would have been rough, would have been challenging work because you're talking about big anchors in your life, you know. And I, I think before we come on this call, I was talking just about identity. It's this giant game of whack-a-mole. As soon as you're done with one part of it, something else, because you've got your past, present and future. And in that space as you were doing work, the clear space that you worked on was the past, right? Like it was where did these things originate from? And let's face it, unless it's in the purely in the here and now or if it's coming ahead of us, it's all going to be the past. So, you know, that's our biggest place to work on, on our future state often is to kind of tidy up and sort a few things in our past as well because it's every lived experience up until that point. But it's hard work. I'll answer that. It was
0: gruesome. Brutal stuff. Obviously a lot of tears. Um, And it's like she basically broke me down. I think (laughs) built me back up again. But I mean, one of the key things for me and any sort of mates listening know that I've always talked about this and I do talk about it in one of my books of I always thought I was going to die young. I've um, had this innate belief from a very young age that I wouldn't, you know, last probably till 50. And um, as I'm fastly approaching that age, it's getting interesting. So that was something that she really challenged me on. And I was like, well, why do you feel that? What are the proof points around that? that makes you feel that you're going to die young. Like obviously because a lot of my family haven't survived till 50, I'd had cancer myself, like all those kind of elements came into it. She said, yeah, but they are truth points, but they're not like, as you say, to the past, It doesn't mean that this is what the future is going to be. So we kind of really had to work on that particular point. And then we did that with about six others. <laughs> so it was phenomenal work. And Like it really, you know, the release, I guess, I got from so many elements, but the real clarity too, Daz, I think, around stuff that I never realized was blocking me and and holding me back, I guess, in some ways. And, you know, I'm a really optimistic, positive person, but there was some shit in there that I'd been hanging on to for years that, you know, clearly was dragging me down. And
1: it was really, really valuable work to do. So two things. One question I haven't answered yet. And that is should, should you get someone. But the second is just hearing that experience that you went through is you could be right, but shit, you're not going to be very happy. Do you know what I mean? And that's one of our challenges with beliefs is that particularly our unhelpful ones, like, you know, our biggest cognitive bias that we have is confirmation bias. This sense that I'll, I have a worldview or a belief and I'll just look for data that supports that. And and I think that every single person on this call, if they carried a belief of "I'm going to die young," could find data every single day to support that. But if we could replace that with a more helpful belief, a more useful belief, a uh, a belief that is who we want to be, you know, like who we want to be coming, then equally we can go on the hunt for data that supports that too. And so. The challenge is if the belief's still sitting there, this old ancient biological drive that's within all of us, which is confirmation bias, it was there for a really good reason hundreds of thousands of years ago through evolution that we wanted to surround ourselves with people who believed what we believed because we were this weak hominid that needed people around us to survive. And we got so good at culturing a great mate of of mine and um, Alison's, Michael Henderson, he's an anthropologist, uh, lives over in New Zealand. And he says, culture is mankind or womankind's greatest invention. It is the greatest thing that we can do as a species is it takes a quite unremarkable animal that's not that fast, not that strong, not any of that. But when we bandy together, we've changed the world. And so for us, when we face these spaces, Number one, why not use one of our great tools and gifts, and that is to do it with others? But you need someone to hold that space for you. Like if you're going to go on that journey, it's too rough to think that we're good enough to do it on our own. Shit, if we'd have figured it out already, we would have done it. So like even the best in the world use coaches to help them stay on top of their game or or to help them break through their blind spots and we all have them. So one of the things is I I would most definitely say is get people to help you with arguably what will be one of the toughest journeys in your life but one of the biggest liberating ones and equally come back to that like your own experience of trying to reshape that belief that's a tremendously unhelpful belief but it would have served you at a point in time.
0: You know, I think the key thing is to not say that your beliefs to date are wrong or like you, you know, you've molded them or they're shit or whatever. They have served you to a particular point and you thank them for that. Like, this is great, fabulous, but actually, that doesn't serve me any longer. And so, to your point, you know, that's why I've always been so driven because I don't think I'm here for a very long time or well, didn't think I was here for a very long time.
1: What a superpower that is, too, you know, like in its own sense that urgency around time got you to do and create and crash through ceilings that you probably otherwise wouldn't. So what a what a wonderful gift that belief gave you, but it's not anchored to who you want to be in the future, right? That's
0: exactly right, yeah, and it was so, so liberating to do that. But it was really tough, and I think to your point of, you know, being able to have someone to do that in a a coaching sense. I've lived with that all my life. I couldn't see like how stupid that was, I guess, in some sense. So you kind of need, it's like a coach holds it, you know, a really good coach holds a mirror up to you. And basically they're just saying, well, actually, this is what you're doing. This is how you're behaving. And they're kind of pointing things out They're you know, making you aware of the way you behave in certain situations. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. But I think your point around the journaling and stuff as well and trying to get that stuff out is really helpful too because when you see it on paper, you're like, oof, didn't realise I kind of thought that or felt
1: like this." It's not for the faint-hearted, but the rewards, like anything in life, is that often the bigger the struggle, the greater the opportunity for reward. Um, the bigger the risk, the better chance for reward. Like that's a universal law in economics, but it applies to to personal growth as well. That you need you need to expose yourself with emotional risk to gain the rewards out the other side. And we tend to see that later on in life where we come back to that kind of concept of identity. People who are quite stunted in their identity or their growth or they kind of get to those kind of spaces where they're just really deeply unhappy with who they are are often the ones who've taken the least emotional risks along the way too, I'd suggest. I, I, I have no study to back that up. It's probably more like a wet finger test from dad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it feels about right, but yeah, like I, I that would be curious. I'm sure there is some signs out there to back that up. Is that um, that kind of stunted emotional growth over lifespan would would have a lot to do with like if you never took a risk, if you never told that girl or boy that you loved them if you never sort of exposed yourself to those kind of challenges never had and risks, a crack at a good
0: job never you know did a sport or something you wanted to do or throw yourself out of an airplane or whatever I yeah I truly believe that life is worth living and I think the interesting point as well with that work is that I didn't realize I needed to do it <laughs> so I think that's You know what I mean? Like, I didn't realise that my, you know, beliefs were holding me back, Daz, until Mary did the work with me. And so I think that's a really key point for people. You know, like, you know, a fish doesn't realise it's in a fishbowl, right?
1: Well, the interesting thing is, and I I posit this as a theory, but you would have had a group of social connections, friends, family, and so on, who when you suggested that you were going to do this work, Well, in some cases you mightn't have even suggested to them because it would have felt really weird doing it because some of them would have went, what the hell are you doing that for and why? Because they're part of the blind spot. Yeah. Now there would have been another section of that group of people around you who when you announced and said you were doing it would have went, go you. And they wouldn't have been doing it just blindly out of support but they would have been going, it's about time.
0: (laughs) The reason though I say that is because... I went in I did professional development work with Mary and but this came out of it which you know around identity and you know my my whole belief system and stuff which was it was As I say, it was groundbreaking for me, but I never expected that we would do that stuff. I didn't ever imagine we'd go there and I never imagined what what I'd get
1: out of it out the other side. Lucky it snuck up on you because maybe the old coxie would have been going, I ain't got time for this. (laughs) I've I've got to get on with stuff. Like, (laughs) if I take these 10 sessions to get through this, man. Like, just give me the Clifton's notes so I can just tick that off and get Get, exact get summary on and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So come back to identity then. And why in terms of, cause there's an element about ego for me in that. And, you know, what is it about ego and identity that we get so hung up about and, you know, defining ourselves in particular ways. And, you know, I guess if we, we were aligned with our values and, you know, did the work around our beliefs and we lived a true life that is true to ourselves purely, then like, it all should just
1: work, shouldn't it? I don't think so because I I think that one of the things we do is we try and separate ego but then also have the conversation, I want to live my life true to myself. And I, I think that sometimes what can happen is for people, we have that kind of classic pendulum kind of experience where we're out here, we know we should be more to the other side but momentum carries us further through. I'd suggest as a person who... I'm still so immature in certain areas of my life and I do believe that I have a deep wisdom in other areas and it's through the areas of struggle that I accelerated some of that ability to access wisdom because wisdom is not mine, like not in any area of my life. It's just a place that I can visit from time to time and, and have an ability probably to communicate it to others in certain areas and I'm just a, a vehicle for it because of the exposure that I have now. I reckon wisdom comes through lived experience and sometimes you can accelerate that through pain. <laughs> Truthfully, like you meet the wise souls, it's because of what they've gone through. And, you know, I spent a fair bit of time through my 20s and 30s in 12-step groups and so on and, and facing my own challenges around addiction and what have you. And like anyone, I think, as you go from being this pure ego-driven, satiate your own needs not really contemplating the effect that that has on others, we then sort of swing to uh, thinking that, well, I need to be more true to myself because ego is taken over. But then in in itself, it's actually can be still an incredibly egocentric approach to it as well. So I think a more holistic way to think about it is how do I be my best for me and for everybody else? And try and hold those two tensions together. It's okay if there's a tension there between what's best for me and what's best for the people around me. I'm just figuring it out like everyone else, but I do get the sense that a life well lived is one to be in service of others. Yeah, like I, I I get this sense that yeah. if we really got into kind of putting ourselves first, and there are times and spaces where that's really healthy for us to do. But I equally go, if we kind of reflected on Bronnie Ware's work, for example, where she interviewed, you know, palliative care patients and what were the wishes of the dying, there weren't too many. So there were some about I I should have put myself first, but they weren't all completely individually centred. There was around that I, I needed to spend time with the people that mattered the most. And so it's an awareness of our ecosystem and our interaction with it. So I think it's making sure your pendulum doesn't swing too far out to one side as you're trying to get away from another side. And so if you're trying to dial your ego down and the, and the power that it has, it doesn't mean also then, well, I need to act everywhere else on behalf of um, – of my value system, but equally I can't all be about just serving others because then i lose my sense of who I am and it's it's kind of trying to work out where I sit within that system to both serve myself and others. And for mine, the best life is when we do what's best for us and the people who matter to us. And sometimes I think the best life is when we can kind of ignore a little bit the people that don't matter to us. And I don't mean that in is in a check out from the rest of the world, kind of like we're we're, we're part of, you know, nine billion whatever on earth and all the rest of that. But when push comes to shove and you're on that deathbed when you're 172 years of age, uh, Coxie, um, (laughs) because you've just smashed this new belief system. And so you're just laying there what we probably would wish to have happen, And that's not a bad little exercise to journal on and go, what would a life well lived look like?
0: And if I kept dreaming, and as to your point, and I served others and, you know, stopped sort of suffering fools as well a bit, I think we do um, play a bit and, you know, a lot of people sort of have that martyrdom where it's like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. I'm like, bullshit, you don't have to do anything. You're choosing to do that. So I really challenge people in that space. So does um, you're always a bit of a wise old soul. Is this the kind of work you do with Pragmatic? Like do you help people through this stuff as well or...?
1: Not really. I <laughs> you just love this on the um, side. Yeah, like I'm I obviously deeply fascinated in this and when we're working with leaders and so on, where where appropriate, it'll come in. However, I don't tend to do any real coaching myself. I'm not patient enough. Uh, Alison, my wife, is a psychologist and the, has been on your show. She's just so good at holding the space. Like I understand the theory of coaching and I can ask questions, but I just kind of get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> too often I with people. And, <laughs> oh, look, I, I I know my limitations in and around that is so I'm a, I'm a good theorist around this stuff.
0: <laughs> so is that why PTV came out and you you created your, your new toy? Is that it? Because you guys have gone virtual. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is cool. Part of it is that we've seen a massive shift in, in workplaces and how we need to build capability in our people and our performance. And so we're, we're reacting and adjusting to that. We, we're also starting to put together a really useful guide around how to be an awesome distributed team so how because so many businesses now we're going to say a forever reshape where we all used to sit like a shepherd in the flock under one roof it, it's i think that's actually going to be more the rarity than the norm whenever things settle is that i think most teams are going to have some people who are there, aren't there, and everywhere in between. And so what does that actually look like into the future as far as high-performance teams look like?
0: Yeah, that's cool. Good work. Interesting.
1: And and that's around identity in itself, right? Massive shift in identity for a team and leaders to go, well, this is what I used to believe, this is what I believe now, and this is what I'm going to need to believe into the future to make that happen. So that's most of where my work goes towards is enabling our team to help deliver that.
0: Yeah, it's great. And, I mean, it's interesting about that point, it, um, a lot of that comes into trust as well, right? Like so for future, you know, setting up trust with your teams and, you know, that they're going to do the job and the work, which, you know, is, is different when you can't see them every day, like sitting at the desk next to you. So that's a whole other convo we could go into next time, Daz.
1: <laughs> yeah, just earlier today actually I was talking to a client, it was amazing, but there, do you remember there was a movie in the 90s called Dangerous Minds? It had Michelle Pfeiffer in it and she was a teacher. And she came in and gave everyone an A and said it's yours to lose. And that's what uh, this organisation I was talking to today is they're adopting a similar philosophy around performances. Everyone's a high performer until you breach the trust that's afforded wow. to you around that. Isn't That's it a cool? cool. Like, yeah. And, and what a shift in belief from them as well. I, like a, a shift in identity on what we value because in the old days it was you earned your way to high performance. Yeah. And when we could see it from you day in and day out because we're under the same roof, now I can kind of bequeath you with a high performance tag. They're going, well, what if everyone was high performance and we gave you the trust on that? But if you breach that trust, then there will be consequences, like everyone gets to choose their consequences. So, yeah, really interesting. That's a, and, again, whole other podcast there. So That's
0: great. Daz, it's been amazing to chat to you today as I uh, knew this would be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for uh, all your wise words and wisdom. It's been fabulous.
1: Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's kind of one of those rambling concepts and if I come right back to it, that's what we should be talking about a lot more because there is no seven-step listical checklist on how to do identity better. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Daz, thanks so much. We'll, uh, I'll see you soon, huh? Get up in that warmer weather. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabi-sabi-series.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.